How do we stay uh, abreast, if you will, or connected? How do we stay informed in the world in which we live, particularly here in the West, to know uh, what is true and what is uh, not true? To know what to believe and not to believe. To what to embrace as, as divine truth and what to reject as false. To know the difference between the spirit of truth and the spirit of error is our passage this morning and it is what the Apostle John speaks to in the verses that we're going to study and look at together so I want to invite you to open your Bible with me to 1 John chapter 3. And if you need a Bible this morning uh, to be able to read, just slip up your hand. Uh, the men will be happy to put a Bible in your hand so you can follow along. We're going to read from chapter 3, verse 24, on through chapter 4, verse 6. And I'm <clears throat> just going to invite us to read that congregationally. I'll begin with verse 24 of chapter 3, if you will take verse 1 of chapter 4, and we'll go through our passage that way. But can I invite you to stand with me for the reading of God's word? First John, chapter 3, verse 24, begins the subject this way. John writes... Now he who keeps his commandments abides in him, and he in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. Verse 1 of chapter 4. Verse 2 says, By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. Verse 3. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Verse 5. We are of God. He who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Will you pray with me, please? Lord, there is such a huge uh, and ever-present need to know the truth. There's so much deception in our world today. There are so many entities that try and deceive 
mankind on many, many different levels. And at the core, what we uh, need, you have said that you will give in giving us the Holy Spirit, that we are able as children of God to know the difference between the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. This morning, Lord, open your word to our hearts. Uh, Open your word to our lives in whatever way we need you to minister to us and speak to us through your word. Lord, we, uh, we have our ear open to heaven. And we ask that as you speak, you would find us listening and available. For this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Please be seated. Well, as we march through this uh, epistle of John, uh, 1 John, we are coming to grips with you know, a tremendous amount of Christian doctrine, uh, a tremendous amount of, of practical uh, tools in which to live the Christian life. And we were studying last week, of course, uh, this clear difference between John uh, boils two categories of humankind down to, you know, uh, the simplest understanding of one being the children of God, two being the children of the devil. Uh, We read it there, if you want to look over with me to chapter 3, verse 10, uh, John says, in this the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest, or in other words, are made known. And what we studied last week was that uh, the emphasis that defines both categories of people, if you will, had to do with the word practice, which meant a habitual leaning and doing of the things that would identify a child of God, the practice of righteousness and endeavoring to live righteously before God, or the children of the devil, the practice of sin, a habitual return to uh, a life that is sinful in the eyes of God. Uh, Scott, could you turn this down just a little bit for me, please? Thank you. And what we find in that, you know, very basic distinction between two categories of men, uh, thinking about this through the week here, is that, you know, sometimes people get offended at that. They get offended. Man, woman, or a young person can get offended at at this uh, categorization of all of mankind that one category is, is a, the children of God and everyone else is the children of the devil. You can find people and get into conversations with people across the dinner table or a restaurant or in a college campus or whatever. 
What are you talking about? Do you mean that you think that I'm a child of the devil just because I don't believe in your God or your Bible or Jesus Christ? Hey, you know, what kind of uh, uh, judge? Who made you judge, right? Don't shoot the messenger. To clarify that point and to give it even more solid ground is that the Bible, which on its own testimony is said to be uh, the Word of God inspired by the Holy Spirit, inerrant, infallible, and the final authority in faith and practice, says that mankind basically is under the sway of or under the direction of one of two spirits. Either they are, he, she is under the direction of and the sway of and the control of the Holy Spirit of God because they have invited Jesus Christ as the Son of God to forgive them of their sin and to... Uh, receive him as their Savior and Lord. The Bible tells us that uh, you must be born again in order to see the kingdom of God. And that at that moment, at that moment, the Holy Spirit begins to indwell uh, the person who by confession of faith has now received Christ as Savior. That individual is now, according biblically, under the sway, under the direction of the Holy Spirit. Does it mean that person never fails, never misses the mark, leads some sort of, you know, theoretically perfect life? Absolutely not, but no. But it means that in their spiritual man, Christ has taken up residence. And so the fact of knowing a right from a wrong, the sense of knowing what is good, what is not good, what is morally healthy or immorally healthy begins to take up residence in such an individual. Contrary-wise, as we put on the other side of the equation, a man, woman, or young person that has not received Christ does not have the Holy Spirit indwelling them. We're not even talking about the baptism of the Spirit yet. We're just talking about the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Such an individual is open and free to think and be swayed into whatever form of thinking as it relates to what is good, what is not good, what is morally healthy, what is not morally healthy, what is right, what is wrong. There, there's no plumb line because there's no active ingredient of the Spirit of God in them. So I hope that clarifies why, you know, just not that John needs any help, but or the Spirit of God or the Scriptures, but... To unpack that a little bit further, that's, that helps us see why John says, nope, it's, it's two categories. The children of God and the children of the devil are made known.
And we saw last week that as it relates to the child or the children of God, in verse 16 of chapter 3, that the children of God, they know what love is because they've seen it demonstrated uh, in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Laying his life down. Willingly giving his life to offer the opportunity of ultimate deliverance to all of mankind. The children of God, when they see human need, they don't close up or shut up their heart. The chil- Verse 17, the children of God, they love in deed and in truth as well as word. Verse 18, verse 19, the children of God know that God is greater even when their hearts condemn them and seek to bring that, you know, that uh, the human heart. Jeremiah 29, 11 tells us that the human heart is de- uh, deceitful above all things and wicked who can know it. Did you know that your heart is wicked? That's it. I'm out of here. That guy's telling me I've got a wicked heart. My heart is wicked. Your heart is wicked. The heart of mankind is above all wicked. Who can know it? Jeremiah. God says that unchanged, undealt with, uninvaded by the person of the Holy Spirit, the human heart remains wicked. And only God can change a heart. You ever tried to change somebody's heart? You ever heard the phrase, you can't make anybody do anything? Well, if you haven't heard that phrase, you're hearing it now. You, you and I can't make anybody do anything. We, you and I are powerless to change someone's heart. But God Almighty can change the human heart. And what John reminds us of is that at times, even in the life of a Christian, the human heart begins to whisper condemnation to that heart. Oh, you're not good enough. Your, Your life and your thoughts and your actions, they don't please God all the time. And yet, we are told by John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, who writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that in verses 19 through 21 of chapter 3, that God is greater than our hearts when our hearts condemn us. And that, that freedom to know that I'm not condemned, Romans 8, 28, Romans 8 says, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, That freedom, I hope you, if you are Christ's this morning, if you at any time in your life have accepted his payment for your sin upon the cross at Calvary, that you are free this morning and not walking under condemnation. Because when our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts. We talked a little bit last week about the difference between conviction and condemnation. 
Conviction is uh, the work of the Holy Spirit showing me my need for Christ. Condemnation is a whisper of the adversary of God seeking to draw me away from the love and the forgiveness of God. And if you are under conviction this morning as we speak about the word of God then God is seeking to nudge you to come closer to him to shed those things that he is asking you to put aside and to draw close to his love if you are under condemnation this morning remember that God is greater than our heart and that freedom brings us to a place of wanting to do things that please God and are pleasing in his sight, verses 23 to 23 of chapter 3. Now, remember, I've shared it before that originally in the scrolls, there were no uh, chapter and verse breaks. Okay, so the subject matter of the spirit of truth and the spirit of error really begins at verse 24 of chapter 3. And we pick up our study there, where we read together that uh, John writes, Now he who keeps his commandments abides in him, and he in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. Uh, I don't know if you've ever taken a pen and perhaps marked your Bible or marked in a notebook next to your Bible. But you'll notice several things there in that verse. And the things that I would bring attention to are the capital letters. In verse uh, 24, where it says that he who keeps his commandment abides in capital H him. In other words, that, that individual is abiding in Christ. But it goes on to say that, and he, capital H, Christ, in him, small h. So the one keeping the commandments abides in Christ, and Christ abides, abides in that individual. And by this we know that he, capital H, that Christ abides in us. How? By the Spirit whom he has given the proof of his abiding in us is the spirit of God that he has given us. That's the proof that he's abiding in us. Now, in John's gospel, he wrote often about the disciple needing to abide in Christ. You probably remember the uh, familiarity of chapter 15 of the gospel of John. It talks often about the abiding John chapter 15, verse 4, Jesus said, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. In other words, Jesus was saying to his followers that your life, your spiritual life will be fruitless unless you learn and choose and incline yourself to abide, to stay, to take up residence in me. He talks further about 
an abundance of fruit in verse 5 of chapter 15. He said, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Jesus was again underscoring as it relates to spiritual fruit. Spiritual fruit in your life, my life. Things that matter spiritually in the kingdom of God. Things that God takes account of things that further the message of the gospel, things that further the life of Christ in us and through us. He says, you can't do anything without me. I remember years back hearing uh, about church, church growth conferences and how in one particular denomination they they would have these annual conferences where they would invite all the uh, the lead pastors from you know an entire state or a district, several states in the U.S. to get together, and what they were supposed to do is to bring their numbers. You know, how many did you bring to Christ this year? How many do you have in your church regularly? As if that was a sign of fruit when coming to church Sunday after Sunday does not make you a Christian any more than going to McDonald's makes you a hamburger. <laughs> Old Keith Green statement and holds true. Church attendance is no verification of, of the work of Christ in you or me. And so that's what Jesus was talking about and is talking about by the Spirit this morning, is that without abiding in him, truly spiritual fruit doesn't exist. And he speaks about the love of the Father. In verse 9 of chapter 15, he said, As the Father loved me, I also loved you. Abide in my love. I don't know who of you this morning necessarily... enjoys what it means to be loved. I hope every one of you do. Because when you know you are loved supremely, whether that's by your parent or your spouse or your sibling, if you know that you are loved, it ignites life within you. And that's what Jesus was saying. He says, I've loved you. Hang out in my love. Know that I love you. Live your life knowing that I love you. And that was his emphasis in his gospel. The emphasis that John took in his gospel was for the disciple to abide in Christ and have all of this that is to take place in the disciple's life that is abiding in Christ. Interestingly enough, in this, his epistle, he turns a corner now and discusses the fact of Christ abiding in us, which I thought was beautiful. The proof of his abiding in us is 
the Spirit. Paul, writing to the Christians in Rome, in chapter 8, verses 9, all the way through 17, if you're taking note of some references this morning, Paul put it this way as it relates to the Spirit in us. I'll read it. Romans 8, verse 9 and forward says, But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Can you say that this morning with all confidence, without any hesitation? That's what I want to hear from your lips. I don't need to hear it. God wants to hear it. But that's what I hope you can say. Every one of you listening, those of you at home, I hope you can say with all confidence, I am a child of God. Say it with me. I am a child of God. The confidence in that. That's the proof of his abiding is his spirit within us. Now, what do we do with the fact that there are two categories, the children of God, the children of the devil. There are two categories of the spirit realm, the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. And the proof that he is abiding in us is the spirit of truth, what do we do with that? Well, John tells us in verse 1 of chapter 4, he says, Don't believe. He calls us beloved. Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. So he is a, in arming the Christian in his day and therefore arming us that because the, the spirit of God dwells in us that we're not to just believe every spirit. Someone put it this way. That spiritual phenomena often reveals itself through people. And if you'll notice in the verse uh, the S of spirit is small s. Whereas the S in verse 24 of chapter 3 is capital S. So in essence, what John is saying is that as people come through your path of life, that begin to speak about God or a God or a spiritual realm or something of that nature that we are to not just assume 
that what they're saying, what they're representing, what they're dictating to us is necessarily something of God. That we are to test that spirit because there are many false prophets or, and what is a prophet? A prophet, uh, biblically a prophet is one who speaks forth the word of God. Definitively a prophet even someone condone themselves a prophet is someone who believes that they're speaking for God. A biblical prophet is someone who speaks forth the word of God. Any prophet can say they are speaking for God. We are to test that, that word, that uh, individual's biblical or rather spiritual posture. Now, uh, we are told in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that the, the discerning of spirits is a spiritual gift. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12 verses 8 through 10 gives us a list of spiritual gifts that are ours as Christians. You can look at those when you get home today. I will cite them for you, but um, they are uh, the spirit, a word of wisdom, word of knowledge, faith, gifts of healing, miracles, prophecy, discerning of spirits, different kinds of tongues, and interpretation of tongues. Nine spiritual gifts, one of which is the discerning of spirits. 1 Corinthians 12, 8 through 10. And so the Lord has not left us uh, without the tool in our spiritual belt needed to be able to discern truth or error. And the next valid question, logical question would be, okay, I'm to discern. The Bible instructs me to discern what does the spirit of God versus the spirit of error or a false spirit look like. He tells us very clearly in verse 2, chapter 4, by this, you might circle that, underline it. You could even circle it in the person's Bible next to you as long as they will let you. By this, you know that this, by this you know the Spirit of God. And here he gives it to us. Every spirit, and I'm just going to parentheses right here now. Person, individual, message, spoken, written, Whatever, okay? Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. Verse 3, every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist. Some of your Bibles may have the word spirit italicized, which means it's not there in the original grammatical language which would cause it to read, and this is the Antichrist, or those anti-against Christ, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. And so we know John's epistle has written sometime after uh, 63, 65, 67 AD, 
almost, you know, roughly 2,000 years ago. He already knew that there was uh, those that had a message that was against Christ. Now, this morning, you and I might read uh, verse 2 and 3, the phrase that every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God, every spirit that does that. You and I might just go, well, that's a given. I understand that. Okay. But let's make sure that we understand that. Because what we have here is is two important uh, components that are taking place in uh, confessing Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. I'll just share them with you quickly. Number one, a confession means to verbally or in some way acknowledge, to speak it, to acknowledge it in some way, whether writing, let's say, let's say a person cannot write, uh, speak rather, they can only write. In some way, it's an acknowledgement on the will of the individual. That's confession. An acknowledgement of Jesus Christ. Now, why is that important? Well, if you do a little bit of a word search in the New Testament, you'll find Christ Jesus, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ the Lord, Christ Jesus the Lord. Okay, his name is Jesus. His mission is the Christ, the Messiah. His title is Lord. His name is not Jesus Christ the Lord. His name is Jesus. His mission is Messiah, Mechiach. His title is Lord. So if there is a verbal or some other acknowledgement of Yeshua Mashiach, Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior, there is at work an in-depth understanding that first of all, man needs a Savior. And secondly, that Jesus is that Savior. Now, okay, let's, let's say we're all on the same page right now. That th- These are known and understood things. But if we take it to the, the next step is to say, has come in the flesh. Oh, here's where it begins to get very important of why John would even make this statement. A verbal acknowledgement that mankind's Savior is Jesus Christ and that he has come, the Savior has come, Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. One would have to embrace and accept everything in this book scripturally in order to make that statement and declare that statement to be true because secular history tells us Jesus came. Other religions tell us that Jesus was here, but that he is the Messiah, that he is the Savior and the only Savior of mankind. That's where it begins to break down. So what John is saying is that everyone who embraces this to be 
The truth about Jesus is in fact speaking by the Spirit of God. And everyone who does not say that this is the truth about Jesus is not speaking by the Spirit of God. Does that make sense? It does to me. And, you know, there are those that question sometimes, well, how do we get our Bible? You know, it's written by men. Men can make mistakes. It's just, you know, so much time and uh, history has gone on. How do we know that this is true? I would recommend you one uh, resource and uh, encourage you to read at least a couple of chapters of it. It's called General Introduction to the Bible by Norman Geisler. Moody Press is, uh, was created in 1986. If you will read the chapter on canonization, <laughs> the canonization of Scripture, how we got our Bible, it's so clear that this is absolutely the Word of God. That it is infallible. Men are fallible. This is infallible. It is authoritative. It is the final authority for faith and practice. Okay, winding this up this morning. The Apostle John tells us, as he's writing to his readers, he says, You are of God, verse 4, little children, and have overcome them. Overcome who? Those that are against Christ. Those who speak against Christ. You've overcome them. Why? How? Because, the word because there is uh, important. He says, because he, capital H, who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Christ in you and me, the hope of glory. What a beautiful thing to have had the Son of God take up residence in your heart and mind. That God would love you and me so much that he would give his only begotten Son that whomsoever would believe on him would not perish but have everlasting life. And that by faith in his finished work, Christ takes up residence in us. He's walking with us. He's beside us. He's... Man, this morning I was driving over here and I stopped at Pardee. It was about, I don't know, it was early in the morning. It was still dark. I was looking up at the expanse of heaven, which always gets me. Uh, for many years, we used to take our, our grandchildren up to a place called China Flat. And there was a rock there. Uh, my granddaughter remembers it probably even now. There was a rock there, and what we used to do late at night is we'd take a flashlight and we'd take our grandkids up and we'd all get up on this rock and we'd turn off the flashlight and tell them to look up at the expanse of heaven to bring perspective to the fact that the God who created this heaven knows your name and my name. And that he would take up residence in you and I, in the person of the Holy Spirit. 
And I was, as I was on that corner this morning, I was just remembering those very special times and remembering again that he's, he's right there beside each one of us. He's beside you when you're driving. He's beside you when you're talking, beside you when you're praying. You don't have to be on you know, knees, quiet, close the closet door for him to be there. He does recommend that we pray in private and that he will reward us openly, but that he's there all the time. Ah, if he's there all the time, man, I better watch what I say, what I do, where I'm going. Just kidding. But he is there. Because he loves us. And wants to display that love to us. Greater is he that is in us, that is in the world. They are of the world. We'll we'll close it up. Therefore, they speak as of the world, and the world hears them. We are of God. He who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. By this, by what? By what someone is saying and what someone is listening to, we can determine the difference between the spirit of error and the spirit of truth. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. By what someone is saying, as was declared in the previous verses, and by what someone is willing to hear, we can know the difference between the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. The proof His spirit within us. The testing. Whoever confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. The challenge. There are those that are against us, but we've overcome them because Christ in us is greater. By what someone is saying and what someone is doing. We can know. Where they are coming from. Great instruction for us on a practical level for how we walk through each day and each week of our life out there in that world that so desperately needs the Lord. Will you pray with me? This morning we'll close. Lord, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for the way that you speak very clearly through each one of your servants that, as the word tells us, holy men of God wrote as they were inspired by the Holy Spirit. So this morning, Lord, we are lovingly reminded that you desire our lives to be fruitful, that you desire that we know the difference between truth and error. Lord, all we can do is look to you again and afresh this hour and through the week this week. 
Pour out your spirit upon us, O oh God, for we need it desperately. We ask that you would bless, guide, and direct our lives. As we go through this week, we pray. In Jesus' name.